Quarantine fatigue. Everyone's talking about it. It seems as though everyone's feeling it one way or another. Joining us now is clinical psychologist, best-selling author, and he's also a parenting and relationship expert, Dr. John Duffy. Hi, Dr. Duffy. How are you? I'm good, G. How are you doing? I am doing great, sir. Um, Fantastic. Now that you're here with us to help us with all of our (laughs) problems and to solve them. Let's hope so. Yes. Um, yeah, because there's some things changing for sure in, in households and families as this all wears on. Um, so let's talk about quarantine fatigue. That seems to be something that we've been hearing about. And it seems that we've been hearing a lot more in the news about people sort of breaking the stay at home order or not being careful about social distancing. Yeah, um, I am running into uh, more and more families and teenagers and even parents who are feeling like, "Mm, I can't do this much longer. Um, The the stress, the fatigue, just the idea of worrying about the um, virus itself, my finances, um, school, all this stuff is piled up enough. I've got to get out. And so more and more people are becoming more lax. I noticed about following the rules. I'm working with teenagers who are texting me looking for some permission from some adults to sneak out with their friends in the middle of the night. Like this is a deal, right? So they are texting, you're their psychologist and they're texting you for permission. Exactly right. Exactly right. (laughs) Well, have a doctor's note. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the idea, right? Is, is, uh, Boy, if I can blame the doc, I, I think I'm in good shape here, um, and I'm not giving that permission, just to be clear, uh, but spending some time explaining, like, why I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, but it's very difficult because being with their friends is so important to these kids, and they have now spent so much time away from them, it's unprecedented for every single kid. And so the idea that, you know, like, wow, my family seems like we're not, you know, infected with the virus, and my friends' families don't seem like they're healthy. Why can't we just create this Petri dish together? And, um, and the idea is like, yeah, I get it. I really do understand that you're struggling with this. And I think this is really important for parents to hear is the I get it part, because our inclination is to jump right to lecture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, who do you think you are? People are suffering. People are dying. People are sick. Um, and that does not carry much weight with kids. But to recognize, like, I know this is really, really hard. Their reality is their reality, and it's true. You know, like their suffering is no less valid just because it's somewhere different on the scale than absolute loss. You know, they're missing out every day on something that is really, really important to them and is important to their their social and emotional development too so this is this is troubling in every way and probably that jump to lecturing right away is happening because adults are afraid you know their their nerves are afraid and they're tired of the quarantine too so if this is happening to you and you have a question for dr duffy the number here is 312-981-7200 we would love to hear from you so Dr. Duffy, let's talk about adults. I mean, is there something different that happens? I'm looking over my notes and, you know, March 16th is when 
the restaurants and bars all closed, you know, for for dine-in uh-huh. for restaurants. But bars were definitely closed right then on March 16th. And then the stay-at-home order went into effect at 5 p.m. on March 21st. And, of course, a lot of people were already working from home prior to that because that's sort of what companies and individual businesses decided. So exactly. it's been well, well over a month now. Yeah. Um, and what what I'm seeing is exactly what you're describing, this quarantine fatigue. And there's a whole bunch of um, elements to it. Like there's this kind of pandemic fear that this low grade perpetual anxiety we're all suffering. A lot of us um, parents and adults are worried about work and finances. And then um, the emotional issues in households that have been latent for a while, like anxious people have not been particularly anxious lately, for example, until the last couple of weeks as the, as the fatigue wears on. People are more depressed as the fatigue wears on. Um, those who are isolated and lonely, that is amplified. And now we're experiencing way too much in the way of togetherness with one another. So <laughs> Too much togetherness? <laughs> too much togetherness. The interpersonal conflicts that take place in a household are escalating, in part because, gee, think about it, it, usually in our homes, we're with our families some of the time, right? But we're able to kind of titrate the dose. We're, we're together on the weekends. We're together for a few hours a day. Now, so many families are spending 24-7 together, and that becomes what, what was once a joy and we were doing puzzles a month ago is now like, why are you not doing your homework and your e-learning, and why are you up at 2 o'clock in the morning? And so a lot of tension and stress is elevating now and creating some of that fatigue. So you're saying we're justified in feel, feeling as though we're over five weeks. We could be in six weeks. Some people might be in, you know, their eighth week of doing this. Mm-hmm. That's a lot harder than being in week three or four. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's hard to get a bead for families. I'm finding this um, in households on the degree of stress that we're under. Um, By and large, I'm finding that we are underestimating the degree of stress we are collectively under until something brews, until there's the big argument or the big fight or the police call in some circumstances that I've run into. So um, I think it's really important as the adults in the picture that we tend to each other and tend to our kids and check in with them virtually every day to see how they're doing. And they may give you nothing to work with, but we need to check in to ch- just to, to see and to let them know we're available to talk about whatever is going on in their minds because otherwise the households I'm finding are becoming pressure cookers and that fatigue is going to escalate into something we do not want to be a part of. There was a uh, study and it was reported in the journal Family Psychology last Wednesday and it said that to parents, if you're trying to hide your stress from your children, even with the best of intentions of protecting them from the pr- pressure, it's not going to work, according to the study. Is that is that what you're finding, too, is maybe that's adding to it because parents want to seem completely calm, collect, cool, perfect? Yes, perfect and composed. Um, absolutely. And, and I give parents a lot of credit for that, right? They, they do not want their kids to suffer or to worry. Um, but here's what happens when you do. And that, 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 um, I read that article, and that, that, that's 100% correct. Um, 
when we don't show our hand to our kids that we're concerned about this as well, our kids have access to every bit of information that's out there. Even kids much younger than you would think, six, seven, eight-year-olds, know that something very different is suddenly going on here and have some bead on what that is and could, could articulate it pretty well. It's, it's almost frightening how well an eight-year-old can tell you about the nature of a pandemic right now. And um, if we're protecting them from it or we pretend we are, our kids are going to be more anxious, not less, because they're going to think, wow, if mom and dad aren't willing to talk to me about this thing, this must be really bad because I, I know they're not being forthcoming. I know they're not telling the truth. So whereas if this had happened in a different generation when kids had less access to data and information, mm. we might have gotten away with this, right? But now kids have access, so they know. So we really cannot pretend that everything's okay. They are well aware everything is not okay. Well, I'd never thought about that factor as to, you know, that might have worked 20, 30, 50 years ago, but not now for sure. Right. Um, I, I often tell a story. My son was six on the date of 9-11, and I turned off the television, and we mm-hmm. kind of controlled the narrative from there. And, you know, now in the midst of this, your six-year-old knows what's going on. So you really have to share the narrative with them. Otherwise, their anxiety is going to go up. And it's a very, very different time. We're the first generation of parents to have to deal with it this way. We're going to have a lot more with Dr. John Duffy. He is a clinical psychologist and best-selling author. Do you have a six-year-old? And how are you dealing with it right now? 312-981-7200. And of course, if you have a question for Dr. Duffy, I know that he has an answer, or at least a start to a good one. A lot more coming up with Dr. Duffy. We're talking to best-selling author and clinical psychologist, Dr. John Duffy, 312-981-7200, if you have a question. Dr. Duffy, so don't hide how you're really feeling if you're an adult, and be sure to be checking in with your kids. But what are some of the things we can do to sort of temper all these irritations? Like, what are tangible things we can do? Because, you know, it just seems as though everyone is sort of... Ugh, on their last nerve. <laughs> you, are, you are so right, and um, that noise feels so appropriate because <laughs> I think we all. I, I think that the fatigue is the right word. I think we're all really getting tired of this. And um, what I'm finding works best. So the most tangible, useful piece of advice I can give adults, um, whether you have children or not, is to find another adult, whether it is a spouse or a partner or a friend that you can talk to about what it is that you're going through and spend some time on that because it might take a while to unravel. Again, um, I think we're underestimating the degree of perpetual stress that we're suffering, and that's part of the fatigue. So talk really at length with a friend and share or, or a spouse about what you're going through. And in the extreme, reach out to a therapist because there's a lot of teletherapy available right now. Um, But one way or another, find a way to get your own mind in order here because you need to be prepared for a longer run here. And it's already been quite a long run. Like you said, it's six to eight weeks. And I'm working with some people where it's a little longer even than that. And, um, And if they don't have somebody to talk to, a lot of these adults finally just kind of blow up at the kids, blow up at the family, um, or fall into 
some degree of depression or anxiety themselves. And this is a time where if we're heads of households, we really can't afford to do that. So um, a lot of self-care is going to uh, fuel care for the family. So that's if there's one thing I can get people to do, it's to take care of yourself, first your mind, and then your body. Make sure you're moving a little bit at least every single day because nothing I find eliminates some of this fatigue and stress than getting out for a while every day safely and moving. Like if that means a walk around the block or a five-mile run, it doesn't much matter. I'm finding that just that shift in perspective makes a huge difference. So just a little walk around the neighborhood. You don't have to do anything physically strenuous if that's not your thing. Nope, nope. I, I Really, it's a matter of um, moving your body and getting rid of some of the stress physically. But also, I think a lot of us lose perspective when we are in the building all the time, when we're in the house all the time, we're hearing the kids all the time, or we're on a Zoom call all the time. So we need breaks from the what has become the ordinary here in this temporary normal. Um, and uh, if you don't afford yourselves those breaks, then at some point you're going to break. You're going to find that you lose it in a way that is uncomfortable for you and doesn't really reflect the vibe that you want to put out to your household. And you're the one who's driving that. Your kids are going to, by and large, follow your lead. So if you're, if you're coming at this whole thing from a really high degree of stress that you're not managing, you've got to expect that they're going to do the same. And if you're controlled and breathing and getting some exercise, they will follow your lead. They might not do it out loud, but if you watch the way they behave, you will see that over time they will follow your lead. Dr. Duffy, you mentioned that many of us are underestimating the fatigue that we're under. And when we do that, I think, is it potentially more dangerous because the effects are physiological as well? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, if you think about what it's like um, when you're anxious, if you're not an anxious person, think about what it's like before you um, take an exam or before you have a meeting with your boss. And um, most of us are at that high level of anxiety most of the time now. So we've got this, um, this thing called cortisol um, flowing through our bodies that is exhausting and fatiguing. And it's really there because we're in a little bit of a state of alarm and crisis kind of perpetually now. So we need to find ways to take breaks from that. First of all, it's not good for the immune system, but it's also not good for our emotional well-being. Um, so we have to tend to ourselves as if we're stressed, even if we're not recognizing it. And a lot of people I'm finding are not recognizing the degree to stress that we're under, that we're idling pretty high because we've never been here before. Mm -hmm. But we think like, oh, I feel, I feel pretty normal and then it feels great not to go to work. And, but there is a pandemic going on and we're aware of it. And so, um, yeah, we've got to pay attention to the physiological signs. So the other piece of advice I have is to work on breathing, which seems you hear every psychologist <laughs> who has anything to do with anxiety. Right. I can, I can see about, a lot of eyes rolling right now, right? Of but course, this is right? a real thing. This is this is a real thing, and um, and right meditation and breathing. I roll my eyes when I say it. So, um, yet if you protect, and I mean three or five minutes a day, and just breathe deep. Um, the one piece of advice I have that not every therapist is going to give you is 
exhale first because then you'll be able to inhale more easily mm-hmm. and just relax for a few minutes a day. And that will set a different tone for the day. And I'm not asking for 20 minutes of your time. I get how unrealistic that is. But if you give me three or five, I think you will find you can approach the day from a far calmer physiological state. See, that's a really good point. Dr. Duffy, that's doable. I think when you say that that is just as good for your body as the more, I think it's too much when I think about meditation and mantras and clearing your mind, clearing my mind just never happens. So if you're just asking me to sit and breathe deeply for a couple of minutes a day, I can handle that. Yes, you do not have to be an expert in anything. And in fact, there are a couple of apps. One of them is Headspace. One of them is Calm. And they have guided little meditations, some of them honestly as short as three minutes, that just lead you through a little breathing exercise, and then you can go on with your day. I do them frequently because I am not much of a meditator myself, (laughs) and I find, honestly, so I'm with you, G, um, but I do find that it helps quite a bit. So um, I recommend that if you feel like um, you cannot stop your eyes from rolling at this point in the discussion. (laughs) (laughs) See, but you can do this. You can do just three minutes of deep breathing. That's it. You don't have to think about anything else. Well, you know, you mentioned that our bodies and households are under pressure cookers, and you mentioned the word crisis a couple of times, and there Mm -hmm. are actual crises happening right now in terms of violence in the home. Last week, we talked to a domestic violence researcher who gave us statistics Mm -hmm. about how that has really gone up and also abuse in terms of children, too. What have you been seeing in terms of clinical trends with that? Yeah, yeah, I am am sorry to say that uh, I am seeing the same thing. I, uh, I've been practicing for 25 years, and in the past few weeks, I have had more calls per session to DCFS, um, more domestic violence issues than I have seen in my entire career, um, and that is um, not remotely an exaggeration, and it, it's really alarming, um, but it does it, the, the correlation between that and the pandemic and the shelter-in-place order is impossible to ignore. It is absolutely an artifact of that. And that's why I'm focusing on this idea that we need to recognize that we're under stress, because I think if we ignore that, we boil over, we get to this point where we do something that we would never otherwise do. This is happening in families where nothing like it has happened before in families where it's commonplace, I'm sure it's happening even more, G, but I'm talking about families where this has never been an issue, no kind of violence, and that is happening now in families where things are boiling over. So it is more important to have some degree of self-awareness and family awareness now than ever before because this is now a matter of health and safety having nothing to do with the virus, having to do with being safe inside the home and I think everybody listening wants to make sure that their family feels safe in the home, right? That they have, Mm -hmm. um, they don't have to go seek out another, another option. Um, And so the way to do that best is to exercise that self-awareness. And oddly enough, the breathing techniques we're talking about, the awareness we're talking about, and not fighting every little battle. So if you find that you are with your spouse, with your kids talking about the kitchen that's not perfectly kept or the e-learning that isn't being tended to, and, and really you're at every single little item that is not going perfectly, um, 
I fear that things will escalate to a point that will be uncomfortable at the very least for you and your family. So my bias is during this period, really, really choose your battles and let go of an awful lot of them. The expectations that we're walking into this whole pandemic period with where we thought, oh, we're going to get a lot done and we're going to be super productive as a family and we're going to get along well, we're going to master this. My strong, strong urge is do not hold that expectation. You know, really relent quite a bit and allow yourselves a lot of mistakes and a few arguments, and this doesn't have to go perfectly, and you do not have to be together all the time in the home. Some time apart is like a release valve for some of the pressure that your family's going through, without a doubt. Of course, nothing ever justifies emotional or physical abuse or violence. I want to make that super clear, but I, my follow-up question to this is, you say you're seeing this in homes that have never witnessed this type of behavior before. If that does happen in your home, maybe somebody throws something or threatens violence or but it's the first time that it's ever happened. How do you know mm-hmm. that it's not just I, I'm not finding the correct word here, but how do you know that it's not just a reaction to the what's happening right now? And when do you know that it's something that you need to call someone about? I guess that's yep. how. Um, so so people Does that will make not sense. Like my, yeah, it makes a great. It, yes. Uh, and, I, and I'll clarify a little bit. So um, if there is a moment of violence in a home and just uh, and it's just a moment and it's never happened before, is this something that we have to act on? I think that's effectively what we're asking here. Mm-hmm. And um, to err on the conservative side and I and, and those in my profession, we tend to do this. If there is any um, instance of violence in a home, it is important to reach out to authorities. So that would mean the police, domestic abuse hotline, DCFS. And that might seem like a gross overreaction. And at times, it absolutely will be. I have been there many times myself. But not once do I regret making the call. And, um, and the authorities then can decide whether to act on something or whether to just make note of it and move on. But, um, but it certainly puts everybody in the household on notice that this will not be tolerated. Because to your point, we have to be really clear This is never okay, no matter how much stress there is in the household, even if it's unprecedented, this is never okay. And one way to show yourself, your family, um, the abuser, that even if it's a moment of abuse, that this is not okay, is to make sure that not, we don't look past even one episode. Um, And I feel really strongly about that. And I know that that people may be rolling their Mm -hmm. eyes at that, but I assure people that the alternative is potentially regrettable, but the phone call, I've never regretted. And Dr. Duffy, what to you constitutes, in your professional opinion, a moment of violence? Let's say someone gets really upset and they throw a dish, but the dish kind of gets really close to someone else in your household's head. Yes, great question. Um, uh, I would call a moment of violence um, either a, a specific deliberate threat. So if it's um, and, and you, you're, you're actually asking the right question because it threads a little bit of a needle. If, if the dish is thrown and it's clearly not intended to hurt somebody, I don't think a call is necessary. I think a discussion is necessary. If that dish is thrown and it is thrown pretty close to somebody's face or head or body, um, then I think you make the call, even if it doesn't make contact. Um, 
So it's a, it's a great question, and it's an important question. And, um, and again, I can understand anybody listening thinking, wow, that seems really like an extreme reaction. But um, sometimes it's not. And it's important to recognize that sometimes it's not. And if somebody's willing to cross this line at six weeks into this process, mm-hmm. the likelihood that that line's not going to be crossed in the next six weeks is shorter and shorter and shorter. The likelihood becomes more and more likely. So my bias is to make the call early rather than waiting for something more terrible to happen. Well, thank you so much for answering those tough questions and answering them honestly and in your professional opinion. Where can people find you, Dr. 